Hi, everyone. Welcome again to the Licton Lifestyle. I'm Steve Peck, right here with the great one, Dr. Edward Licton, <laughs> sitting right across from me. He's the guy that's an expert in the field of anti-aging and wellness medicine and a lot of other stuff, too. He's also the author of the textbook of Bioidentical Hormones. And today, well, we're going to do some freestyle. And what does that mean? means that we've got a lot of different things we want to talk about, so we'll just kind of peel through all of them, and I'm sure you'll find something that interests you. Some of the things we'll be talking about, we'll be sharing some ideas on basic nutrition, supplements, and lifestyle changes that can help you lose weight, make you feel better, stronger, and fuel your body with energy. Now, if you'd like to write us, we'd be happy to answer some questions. Write us at usdoctorradio at gmail.com. Again, that email address is usdoctorradio at gmail.com. Email your questions or suggestions. And remember, every single Monday we've got a new program on iTunes for you. Please tell your friends. We've been getting a lot of listeners, and uh, they're learning stuff, and that's what we're here for. So go to iTunes, rate the program as well. You can do that at the bottom of the page. And thank you very much for doing that. We appreciate it. Now, a lot of our listeners would like to contact Dr. Lichten for a consultation. And you can do that by calling him at 248-593-9999. Again, 248-593-9999 for Dr. Lichten. Or check out his website at usdoctor.com. Here he is, the great one, Dr. Lichten. I'm giving you the big build today. Hey, good morning, Steve. (laughs) Top of the morning to you. How was your week? Everything's good. You know, the world's changing slowly, but it's changing. In a good way or? I'm hoping. I'm hoping for the good way. Listen, you know, you're a doctor. Doctors make good money. My week consisted of going to a dentist. Now, dentists are not my favorite type of people, and it's nothing against them. It's just what they do to me, and I'm not a big fan of drills. I've had some really bad experiences, but in 90 minutes at this new dentist, I racked up a bill of $1,500. In 90 minutes, do you know what it costs for cavities to be filled right now? No, I'm fortunate that I haven't experienced this for a while. It's they start at about two hundred and fifty dollars and go up. And since I've had a bad experience in the past, I wanted to find one of these new dentists. And they're the ones that claim they don't use a drill; they use this new water lays. Have you heard of that? Sure. So <laughs> the concept is not as much pain. You know, you just kind of sit there and a little water squirts out and the laser does the work for you. That's what got me there. Well, actually, what got me there was our interview last week that we did with Dr. Roberts. He was talking about the evils of mercury. And, oh, my God, if, if that's true, I mean, probably half of what's wrong with me is in my mouth. They have this device where they go in and you're watching on a LCD screen that you're seeing the camera on the device they put in. And so you see all of what's in your mouth. And, you know, when we had our cavities done as kids, all they used was the silver fillings. So my mouth is filled with this stuff. And so I thought I'd go. But then I got there and they're like, well, you need this and you need that. And $1,500. So uh, at the end of that visit, I sent my son an email at Michigan State. 
he's still trying to figure out what he wants to do for a living? I said, maybe you should consider being a dentist. I'm not arguing with you. I, you know, we just had wisdom teeth pulled for Max, and I think the bill was $3,500 for about, oh, maybe 20 minutes worth of work. <sighs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, I had a whole mouthful of mercury, too, and it was about, oh, maybe 14, 15 years ago when I was feeling poorly, and mm-hmm. I came across that, so I had all the 20, 20 or so cavities removed and had all the mercury pulled out and had the, uh, you know, the white stuff put in whatever it is porcelain or whatever it is uh, the new filler and uh, uh, interestingly I was playing with the mercury levels at that time with how much you can how how much mercury you excrete when you take certain pills to mm-hmm. see and actually the level dropped by 75% but you know it, it is sort of funny I mean I'm not a big chelator you know that I believe the body will fix itself but you know if you are poisoning or toxic loading there are some places in some point in time some people swear by how much damage you can do from the mercury and uh you know if you're feeling really crummy and nothing else seems to work i'm not gonna say no yeah i mean i did it at one point in time and it made me a difference although i think the hormones made a big difference maybe a little bit of everything makes a difference but back to that money deal do dentists make more money than doctors today than your average doctor oh definitely it's not even close no my dentist has four girls working for him 150 dollars a uh an hour is what cleaning your teeth costs so he's got 600 bucks coming in if he pays the girls half he's got 300 dollars coming in for doing nothing oh man and then he's just sitting around doing your 1500 dollars procedures every hour oh no i think most good dentists are making you know three quarters to one and a half <laughs> while the rest of us are struggling at a one-fifth that all right so then how does that connect with the old statistics that show that dentists have one of the highest suicide rates well, that is true. Ever heard that? Oh, yeah. And the only psychiatrists also. I mean, if you look down on the mouth, I guess both ways, it's it's hard on you. <laughs> but, I mean, why for a, a dentist, why would they want to commit suicide? What is so depressing about looking in a funky mouth? I mean, look, you could be a proctologist, right? I don't hear them at the top of the list. Well, I don't know how close the proctologists get to their work, so it's all relative, you know? I mean, you know, there's all kind of things that are dangerous. Uh, you know, the thing that's not dangerous, I guess, is being a politician. Yeah. Well, you know what the good news is? We make so much money doing this show that, you know, 1500 bucks for me, no big deal, you know? I oh, mean, really? We, 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 we were making money on this show? Okay, fine. Now you tell me, all right, we'll go back and talk to... Uh, Whoever's in charge. I'm a positive thinker. Okay. You know, you attract it. That's what I'm doing here. Speaking of attracting things, we ask people for questions, and they've got them. Scott from Ann Arbor would like to ask you a question. He said, I enjoyed your show last week with Dr. Roberts. I was impressed with his passion in regards to helping others. I have atrial fibrillation, and I didn't hear him mention this. I've been taking Coumadin and beta blockers to thin my blood and slow my heart, and the medication makes me feel horrible. Do you know of any other medications I could take in place of this? And uh, you and I have talked a little bit about this because I have atrial fibrillation as well. Scott didn't say whether his was chronic. Mine's not. But a lot of people do have chronic, which means their heart is irregular all the time. Do you know of any other thing that can help? The only thing I tell my patients is I measure the RBC magnesium level. It's, if you keep your magnesium level in the upper upper reaches of normal, 
there's less chance that the atrial fibrillation would be caused, this, and this is intermittent atrial fibrillation, be caused from a mineral deficiency. Once it gets to the point in time, where even if your magnesium levels are normal and you're still having the atrial fibrillation, then there's a different scenario. This is a time when the drug that you typically use is Indorol. I've been using the same drug for almost 40 years. Trouble with Indorol, of course, it by slowing your heart rate, it also slows your ability to respond. So, one, you tend to feel on the downside because you can't get your heart rate up for the right circumstances. And two, a lot of times it affects sexual performance, which isn't great for the male ego. So where we're at is if you can't get the mineral levels to normal, I really don't know of a lot of herbal supplements uh, that make a difference. But like everything else we've talked about, I screen everybody for about 94 hormone, vitamin, and mineral deficiencies, and I treat those. Mm-hmm. And I can't, can't tell you specifically atrial fib, but I've had patients who say things get better on therapy. And will it make a difference? It's hard to tell. But do the blood profile. Fix the blood profile. If it goes away, then call us and say, you're right. Indorol is a beta blocker, correct? Right. And uh, I take etanolol, which is also a beta blocker. That helps by slowing the heart. Doesn't make me feel bad, but fish oil, you did some research on that. You found that could be helpful. Certainly can't hurt. There is also radioablation therapy if you get yourself in a dire strait where you're just on this Coumadin, because there are a lot of bad side effects with Coumadin. When you're thinning your blood to that point, I mean, it's you have to manage yourself all the time. You manage your levels, and if you get cut, I mean, there are a lot of problems with that. So when you get serious, Scott, there are people you can see that do this radioablation. It's minimally invasive. And it goes in through uh, like a cath. They go in and they identify the areas in your heart that are having these electrical difficulties. Once they identify those spots, they go in with this device and it puts little scar tissue down in those areas, killing, deadening that area of the heart. The concept is then that doesn't respond and, and get into AFib. And I've known guys that have had that done. And some have been cured, some have not, and some have seen improvement. But I, I think that Dr. Lichten's method of first find out where you're at within all your levels of vitamins, minerals, try to see if it's a deficiency that might do it. There's just no real good answer for that right now. But I know they're working on some other things as well. So That's good. The point you make about Coumadin, if they have him on Coumadin, he may already have developed a clot in the heart. The trouble with atrial fibrillation is that the uh, atrium, the small part of the heart, the chamber before the pumping ventricle, can have blood in stasis, and some of the patients will form what's called a clot in the heart, and this can be quite large. They give you the Coumadin, and it's not typical treatment for atrial fib. That's why I think uh, this gentleman's case is more severe. But the Coumadin's there trying to keep a clot from breaking off. The other treatments we have to, instead of Coumadin, uh, but not necessary for this type of scenario, would fish oil and vitamin E and K2 are different vitamins and minerals that keep the blood from clotting. But again, if he's to the point in time where they're giving Coumadin with concern about a clot in the atrium, this is a more severe scenario and it's not one that we would really jump in to treat good advice Uh, there's also a brand new device on the market i just read about it yesterday i'm sorry i don't have the information but it's something they implant in that area of your heart 
and the the purpose of that is to stop the clotting, not like to shock you back into rhythm. So uh, do some Google searching. Good luck. You can live with it. Stay healthy. Keep in shape. And hopefully you'll have good results. Another question here comes from Phoenix. Ooh, that's a hot place. Lori says she listened to your show on diabetes, and she heard Dr. Lichten say testosterone helps men with type 2 diabetes but didn't hear any references to women. Can testosterone help women as well? Well, the scenario is, since I've been working with diabetes and testosterone for the last 20 years, it's usually by the third person that asks the question, what are you doing about women, being that I'm a gynecologist treating men. And the bottom line is, we have some new information. I have a new formulation. I have uh, four women now we've treated who had moderately severe diabetes, a hemoglobin A1C over 7, and one's on insulin, and all four have gotten better. Now, we're in the preparation to do a double-blind controlled study through the university to show just effective testosterone is for men. So the plan would be if we can get this study done next year, year and a half, then we'll go ahead and look at how we can treat women in a controlled environment. The thing is I have hundreds of men I've been treating, so you get a feel for all the side effects and problems. Mm -hmm. And the original testosterone treatments that I had in the early 90s uh, did cause problems. Regular testosterone may influence heart damage in women. So the point is now we have a different form. It doesn't look like it has the same complications, but it's just too early to make a statement for the whole world to jump on it and say, this is going to work. We're going to look at a couple hundred women over the next year, year and a half, and we figure out all the nuances and little quirks that we have to know about, and then we'll go ahead and do a controlled study. What's going on with that new testosterone? It's, It's undergoing FDA approval right now. You mentioned it in a prior show, one shot is supposed to last like three months or right the drug in europe is called nabido nabido like libido yeah, that's right and it's only 160 dollars, which is like one fifth the cost of the androgel cool uh i have not seen the data yet on what the distribution is it's been used in europe since 2003 but the idea is that you have a testosterone for three months instead of one for cream you're going to avoid all the complications of testosterone estrogen conversion from the skin but I haven't seen any data, and I don't have it to try here. But what I would do is I, I, when I do get it, I'll be able to look at blood levels and see how much conversion is estrogen and whether it really gives the gentleman as much benefit as we'd like to see. It's exciting, and the good news, too, is uh, big pharma's got to have their hands in that one, right? So if they do, then that means they'll promote it, more recognition to hormone replacement therapy. But it was a smaller company than Solvay's. Androgel, so lo and behold, the FDA held up its distribution in the U.S. for two more years. Oh, well. (laughs) You know, (laughs) hey, 2011 will be here before we even think about it, right? Yeah, right. Well, we're about to go into the news here, and I actually had a story, and I said, ah, you know, we've talked enough about it. But it was going to be in the Dr. Licton told you so category, another article about vitamin D. I mean, they keep coming out it seems like when uh one of these new supplements gets going the press just jumps on the bandwagon and every other day there's a new story another story about how deficient everyone is in vitamin d and uh, you know you've been saying that for years it's in your book the textbook of bioidentical hormones and it's just like you said 
I mean, you were talking about the diabetes connection with testosterone years ago. You're talking about the vitamin D years ago. Talking about fish oil and all those things years ago. So I guess for the listener, the point is, you better get to a guy like Dr. Lichten and get the information you need today and not wait years. Sound good? Hey, thanks for the plug. (laughs) My pleasure. That's how we get that big salary. All right, here's some news stories for you. Mm, Economy down, vasectomy up. In these tough economic times, more men are making a tough decision, vasectomy. Urologists across the country are reporting that nearly twice as many men have been seeking permanent sterilization via vasectomy since the economic crisis began. There's no official count, but it's clearly a trend, says Lawrence Ross, M.D., professor of urology at the University of Illinois at Chicago. A clinic in Cleveland has gone from 40 or 45 procedures to about 70 or 75 procedures a month since mid-November. One of the main reasons for the increase is male patients explaining they're losing their job and they'll be losing their insurance. Economics seem to be playing a role in the surge. We live in a time where people are saying times are tough. and There's not going to be enough disposable income to pay for food and diapers and to save for college tuition. So, Dr. Lichten, they're opting for the big V when it gets paid for by their company. Well, yeah. I mean, the point is Americans, more than any other group of people, really have we call it short-sightedness. So the point is uh, come fill my prescription because my insurance is running out, and I understand that perfectly well. The thing we mentioned before is that the men who have vasectomies long-term will stop having sexual relations with their partner seven years earlier than the man who doesn't have a vasectomy. Really? Yeah. Why? Well, it has to do that the whole process of vasectomy ends up creating obstruction to the sperm so it can't get out. Well, it has to go somewhere, and either you form a cyst or seal, or a seal right there, where, which is a circular fluid-filled sac of all these sperm trying to go somewhere, or some of these actually break down and actually get into the bloodstream. And this creates an immunological reaction against the sperm. And because of this, there is a bodily reaction. And the data is pretty strong, and I can tell you from the men who I see in my practice, is that the men who have a vasectomy, it's a Really, the only surgery I care about is, have you had a vasectomy? How long ago? And usually somewhere between 7 and 12 years after having the vasectomy is when they're coming and telling me they're having performance issues. So, yes, short term, you've solved a problem, and long term, it's Viagra, and uh, we find the testosterone levels are affected. So, yeah, it's a short-term solution, and then there's long-term sequelae. I hadn't heard that. Uh, I know that the surgery itself is not all that expensive, the reversal is expensive if you change your mind. I mean, you can go and drive yourself to the doctor's office, have a little Novocaine, drive yourself home, wear a nice jock for about a week, and it's over. I mean, it's not a complicated procedure. But wear a what? Ice pack in the jock strap because the swelling from the incision in this defended area makes things uncomfortable oh, for about God. a week. But the bottom line, it's not a big surgery. And for guys, it's about as much as we really want them to have. But long-term... Uh, I don't. I definitely recommend it not being done for my patients. Uh, those who want to, you know, stay functional. The interesting thing is the testosterone shots we're working with. Uh, interestingly, we've got data already. For the first half dozen men came in within three months, we reduced their sperm count from 150 million to zip. So if you're taking your testosterone shots to stay healthy and 
vibrant and hold off diabetes and heart disease, improve your sex performance. You do it at the cost of fertility. What a terrible side effect. Have more sex and pregnant less women. Well, that's, there's no issue with that with guys that are our age, but this is why some of the younger kids should not be messing around with some of these testosterone supplements. You know, these kids that buy it off the Internet, they're using it to bulk themselves up for sports. They can shut their testosterone off forever, can't they? Not really, but I do see a lot of guys who've had testosterone episodes for two and three years, whether 18 to 25, that they've built up, they've built up the estrogen conversion. So they come in and they're having sexual performance problems in their late 20s and 30s. Mm-hmm. And their sperm count's down because their testosterone. Yeah, if you go ahead and trigger your body to think it's 20 years older because of the levels, yeah, you can mess yourself up. And I will not support in any way androgen therapy either for the professional athlete or for the high school or college kid. You know, testosterone is something we should just save till we're old and mature enough to use it. Good point. Here's another one for you. This is a good one, too. Check this out. Does a PSA test help or hurt? The recent contradictory studies of more than a quarter million men published in the New England Journal of Medicine about the effectiveness of using the prostate-specific antigen PSA test for reducing death from prostate cancer left many men and physicians confused, upset, disappointed, and wondering, what the heck should I do now? An elevated PSA can be a tip-off to a lethal cancer, but it can also detect less aggressive cancer that may never cause harm. Since we don't yet have a definitive test that can tell the difference, and may not for many years, most prostate cancer experts believe that this cancer is now not only overdiagnosed, but also overtreated. Does the PSA test save lives? According to the American Cancer Society, 28,000 men died from prostate cancer in 2008. Or does it merely subject a large number of men with elevated PSAs to unnecessary surgery or radiation with side effects that can include urinary incontinence, erectile dysfunction, and irritative urinary and bowel symptoms? Doctors and patients alike have wanted to know the answer for years, and they were hoping that these randomized trials would provide them with answers. Unfortunately, they did not. A European study of 182,000 men, and this study still going on, they were aged 55 to 69, showed a 20% reduction in death among men who had PSA testing. For every life saved, however, 1,400 men needed to be screened and 48 would need treatment following a positive PSA and digital rectum exam to result in one fewer death during a 10-year period. Another way to look at it after the study results is that 47 men who had a PSA test followed by surgery or radiation for their cancer may not have needed it, and many might go on to have urinary and erection complaints in harming their quality and way of life while supposedly protecting them from cancer. Some men might say that this is too high of a price to pay for a disease that was not going to cause harm. Once a man knows the risk and the trade-off, he may or may not want to have a PSA test. So for years, we've been told you have to go in. And now I'm hearing a lot of people say, that even if your PSA is high, you might not 
want to rush to have surgery and that it would take a long time for this to harm you. And as you saw in this report here, you know, what was the number? It was only... Uh, 47 to 1. Yeah. I mean, for every life saved, 1,400 men needed to go through this, and it resulted in one fewer death. Well, let's break this down. This is a really a great topic. We may even do a lot more of it we this should. hour. Definitely. So let's let's start with how how this gynecologist screens men. Okay. So the first thing is, and I'm and I'm not going to stick my neck out. And I'm not going to go ahead and do things that aren't, in this case, standard of care. So the first thing is, a gentleman comes in the office, and we're going to get his PSA. Now PSA is a prostate specific antigen, and what this means is, if you have inflammation in the prostate that looks like there's something going wrong. This could be an acute prostatitis because you've got an infection, or it could be chronic because of an inflammatory process related to uh, potentially a pseudocancer or cancer. So number one, gentleman comes to the office, what's his PSA? I use a level of two to be a routine that if it's below two, I figure it's normal. And obviously anything higher than two, we ask the question. Now I've picked up more than 50 or 60 prostate cancers when men come in, they have no idea there's a problem. Their PSA is 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. So just because there's an elevated PSA, the first thing is we don't know if it's cancer. But I can tell you that if a man comes in with a PSA of 5 or 6 or 7, and he's between the ages of 45 and 70, when they do the needle biopsy, 90% of them will show a cancer. So first thing is, if you knew you had a prostate cancer, would you do anything about it? Now, the new surgeons... Let's just walk it through. The new surgery that's done with robotics and good hands, there's really minimal problems. That means that gentlemen should be able to maintain their urological function and even their sexual function. So in the scenario, if it was me and my PSA got to 5 and they did a biopsy on me and it came back positive, and because I am a surgeon, I would say take it out. Because I know if it's gone, it's gone. I have a good friend, it's professor. Um, he's got metastatic prostate cancer. It's going to kill him. And this was potentially avoidable. He tells me the story after he came back positive. He sent his brother in. His brother had the same disease. His brother had the disease removed. So step one is if it's elevated, we've got to do something about it. Now, on the other hand, we talked about last time, two weeks ago, we talked about Morgenthaler and his work out of Harvard. And what this said was the men who are most likely to get the aggressive prostate cancer are the ones with the lowest levels of testosterone. So if you or pick up the fact that you're low in testosterone in your 30s and you start replacing your testosterone early, your body maintains its immune function and you have less chance for an aggressive cancer. So the aggressive cancers are the guys who are immunologically suppressed and have lower levels of testosterone. And the third thing is, as you get older, your prostate uh, PSA goes up. So I have a gentleman in his late 70s, he's got PSA of 18 well, his PSA of 18 is not cancer. It's just a big, huge prostate that's been there developing over years and years and years. So step one is screen because it's so nice to be able to say you don't have the disease. Number two, replace the testosterone because once the testosterone is replaced, uh, you have a better chance that you won't get a prostate cancer. And as I told you, I've only had two men in the last 15 years who had prostate cancers on testosterone therapy, and one actually came in the office irregularly and was diabetic, and the other one was one of our first patients who had a PSH, PSA of 3, and giving him testosterone, it went to 8. So we knew he had a testosterone-sensitive cancer. 
the most recent data from Morgenthaler is he's not afraid to treat prostate cancer patients with testosterone. And he says it doesn't make any difference. They may live longer and live better. So we have to look at the new data and the old data. The old data says screen. New data says once you have a screen, if you're positive, the robotic surgery has really good results. And after that, go with testosterone if the urologist will approve it. So, gee, uh, Dr. Lichten, you sound almost conservative in your approach to this when you're when you're taking the surgical path. Well, I've been there, you know, almost forty years, and I've seen what happens when there are metastatic cancers, and and you know, death is nasty anyway. Yeah. But uh, watching someone being eaten up from the inside is is really pretty ugly, and this is really a preventable disease. And yes, if you do nothing. 80% of the men that die over 80 will have a prostate cancer, but it won't be what kills them. But a lot of people are saying that it's really such a slow cancer that even if you get it, it takes a long time to get you. But along the path, there's a lot of misery involved. So the point is, would I personally, you know, as someone who deals with this, I would not want to have a prostate cancer sitting inside me if I could avoid it. And the interesting thing is some of these prostate cancers are now being quite aggressive. Mm -hmm. I had a gentleman in the office, a 70-year-old guy married to a 50-year-old woman and for 20-some years. And the bottom line, this guy flew planes and very active. And when we did his coronary scan, he had no calcium at 70. You like that? I'm jealous. Yeah, except he, well, lo and behold, he pops up with an elevated PSA for the first time in a year, and it's stage 3. So he had a very malignant cancer developed within a year. And... The decision in that case was they got it out. It had spread within the prostate gland, but it hadn't gone outside. And we probably saved his life by doing a PSA. I've known a couple of guys that have had this done, and of the two guys, they both took a different path. You can have the surgery, or there's the radiation, something like that, right? Right. And there's also a freezing. One guy here in Rochester Hills invented a procedure where they go in with a freezing probe. And they destroy the prostate gland with freeze. You can mm -hmm. freeze it. You can radiate it. You know, and I've been, you know, like I said, I've been doing cancer work since 1972. And the bottom line is when you see it and you radiate it and you poison it and do everything else, this is one time when, as a surgeon, you say, get it out, put it in a jar, send it away. You know it's not going to affect you anymore. So I don't like to sit around with cancer. I have patients who've done the freezing treatments and the heating treatments, and I go, but you could have had it all done and you wouldn't have to worry about this the rest of your life. But, you know, if it's not a really aggressive cancer and you feel comfortable, but you have to remember that the whole gland responds hormonally the same way. So unless you get the whole gland out, there's going to be some cells there that could respond the same way that those bad cells responded. Same thing with breast cancer. You know, we're doing lumpectomies. Yeah. And sometimes it's appropriate and sometimes it's not. And I had one patient I remember came back to me and said, the doctor doesn't want to do anything and said, we talked about it. And the patient and I said, look, with your family history and other factors involved, I'm not big aggressive, but in this case, I think you should have a bilateral mastectomy. And she came back, the surgeon argued a couple more times, and when they did the surgery, they found six more loci. Wow. Of cancer. So it's not like it's one spot, it's a whole gland. So. You know, sometimes being safe is, is beneficial. Statistically, yeah, if you're 70 or 80 with a big PSA, you probably is going to bother you. But if you're 35 or 40 or 50 with a high-level PSA, it's probably more malignant. 
you said that one gentleman had stage three. There's a stage one and two. Is is that true? Actually, they rank them usually to a four, and um, and you know different numbering systems. Uh, they have a Duke uh, rating system. But the point is, a zero uh, one is benign, and two is moderate, and three is more aggressive, and four it's already spread. So the concept is. In one year, this gentleman had a cancer that went from nowhere with a normal PSA to aggressive. So the point is this does happen. So every guy out there, you ought to have your PSA screened once a year. And when you get screened, why don't you go ahead and measure your testosterone levels? Being on a little testosterone can't hurt. It's our fountain of youth. Anyway, I'll speak for us in this case and say why not. Well, you should also have the digital exam as well which is kind of funny because when I went to the doctor the first time and he was doing a, a, a process on me, he said, and would you like a, a digital uh, exam for prostate cancer? And I said, oh, yeah, that's cool. I, I didn't know that you guys did this uh, with a computer now. <laughs> he goes, no, 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 no. Digits. Yeah. Digits on fingers. Uh, oh, I gotcha. How about this, though? How about if there's a, a stage one through five Four. Four? Mm-hmm. See how well I listen. If there's a stage one through four and you have one, what about hanging out for a little bit, checking it every couple of months or three months and uh, not doing anything till it gets to a two, and buying a little time maybe? Well, what happens is from the cancer standpoint, we have what percentage are you missing, which means what is metastasized. So metastasis means it's spread. Yeah. So in reference to whether it's uterine cancer or breast cancer, yeah, if you're at one, you may have a half a percent that's spread, and two, it may be 15%, and three, it may be 60%, and four might be 100%. So why do you want to go from a half percent to a 15% chance of metastasis while you're waiting? So, you know, common sense here applies, and uh, this is one thing that we're very good about in the United States is if you've got something bad, we can get it out. And it does make a difference. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things I like about you as a doctor, too. You're very cutting edge on one hand with your anti-aging and wellness information, way ahead of the curve, but yet you keep a degree of being conservative. You look at both sides and make a decision. It's really not black and white. I mean, when we talk about prevention, which is really what we're talking about here, is that, yes, you understand about the risk of prostate cancer, but... The doctors don't talk to you about the benefits of testosterone for prostate cancer. So, you know, we can look at both ways. If you get to where you have a problem, take care of it. Emergency medicine we're great at in the United States, and preventive medicine we're really crummy at. So, well, the majority don't talk to you about it, as we mentioned in the testosterone show, because they think that it could create it. Yeah, they haven't read the literature. I mean, dogma is wonderful. I mean, where, whatever field you're in, this is the only way we do it. This is, well, here's the literature. Says, or we can quote, quote uh, uh, Al Gore. He says, don't confuse the science. But there is strict science here, you know, global warming and ice melting and chips and computers being gone. But the bottom line is there is strong science. And the point is you learn something in medical school and you learn it right or wrong. And the trouble right now is half the information that you learned – 20 years ago is wrong. I mean, it's a point we didn't know, and we put a, come up with an answer, but now it's wrong, and testosterone really doesn't cause prostate cancer. And actually, the data shows it's preventative. So every guy should be out there says, I'm feeling tired, I'm feeling weak, and my, my weak you-know-what isn't working real well. 
going to say Willie, but I didn't want to <laughs> say it this time. But the bottom line is, it's, it's, gee whiz, guy, you're low in testosterone, and uh, lo and behold, your testosterone's weak. You're going to get a little prostate enlargement. Your muscles are going to get weaker. Your brain's going to get fogged and say, hey, you know, what's wrong with uh, fixing the system? I had a whole conversation about that at the health club today, probably, or not today, but this past week. A gentleman, I'd say he was yeah, close to 80 was talking to me. He sees him. What, what are you shaking in that bottle? And it was the protein, and one thing led to another. And, oh, man, his, his, his just eyes were opening up, and he was just getting excited hearing the information. And he had all the old information. Oh, I thought that was, you know, causing cancer. And So, guys, yeah, talk to Dr. Licton. Find yourself a doctor. Uh, read Dr. Licton's book, the textbook on bioidentical hormones. Get the right information, and then you make the right decision. And one thing that I do, and I, I do a lot of, is I don't trust dogma. So on the Internet, we all have the Internet available. You can do a Google search and just plug in the terms you want, testosterone and PSA, testosterone and prostate cancer. And then what I do is I go back to the NIH, and it's called PubMed, P-U-B-M-E-D. Like the club. <laughs> club Med, right? Oh, not quite. But the bottom line is the PubMed gives us a chance to go through millions of medical articles. And those articles are there, and they're absolute. And that point is you plug in the term, you plug in testosterone and prostate cancer, there may be 2,000 articles. But you can look at these little abstracts and get the idea. Now, I like to read between the lines what they really want to say and they couldn't publish it or what did they miss. But the point is if you go ahead and say, okay, let me look at two or three pages of articles and see if there's some logic here, some pattern that pops out at you. You may be surprised to find that the articles that are in the scientific literature are exactly opposite of what your doctor is telling you because his data is 20 or 30 years out of date. Yeah, you know, it's unlikely that you're going to go ahead and have a PSA and one year later have a you know stage 3 prostate cancer. It happens. It's a rare case. But the point is, Common sense says you go to the doctor, you get your PSA, you get your exam, the levels are normal, and you say, okay, there's one less thing to worry about. And that's really the way the medicine's supposed to be. We look for the emergencies, but they're rare. We look for common sense and make sure that's how we play it out. So there you go, guys. That's what you need to do. Girls, get your guys to do it if they haven't already. Now, in the last 20 minutes of our show, time has flown, and we're going to talk a little bit about supplementation. I'm a big believer that eating right, taking supplements, and working out are all good for you. And I happen to connect with an old friend who had a double bypass five years ago. Again, talking to him about a radio show and all this stuff. And he's like, oh, my God, we got to have lunch. <laughs> they want to pick your brain. It's like they think I'm a doctor. I'm just the, you know, the guy that asks the questions here. But he wants to sit down. He's all excited about it. And in the course of the conversation, continues to tell me, yeah, but it's kind of hard when I go out with uh, business associates and I'm eating burgers, you know, and I'm like, what? What? I mean, you've had a double bypass surgery. What the hell are you doing eating burgers or fries or anything? Some people aren't compliant. They don't get it. So talk to us a little bit about the supplements that we can take that are really important, and you have one at your office that's the best I've ever seen. And my concern about supplements is there are a million places to buy them, cheap and expensive, but how do you know what's in them? There's been a lot of reports in the news that they go out, they take these, they buy these supplements, the media does, and then they run tests on them and they, they find that what 
was said is in the capsules, in fact, is not or at a lower amount than what is on the label. The ones that you carry are guaranteed pure, and they're amazing. But the bottom line is uh, when you go ahead and buy products, actually some of the larger companies and, and products that you can buy really have very poor absorption. And absorption means you actually change the blood levels. And this doesn't happen really well. So I tell everybody, number one, try to go liquid. It's going to be a lot better absorbed than a product. Number two, we have different products for different purposes. But since we're only, we're finding that the food source is just so poor, we have less than half the mineral content in our food today that we had in 1950. So you would need to eat two heads of lettuce instead of one. There's no minerals left. The ground's been tilled so many times. There's no magnesium. What about if it's organic? Well, the problem with organic, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean it's better. You would like to think organic means they're not going to put the poison sprays on the food, but it doesn't mean the mineral content is necessarily better. It's very difficult now because you can use the word organic if you meet certain criteria, but it doesn't mean the food content is better. So when doctors tell you, well, you really don't need a supplement, they'll, well, they're talking from the 1950s. Why wouldn't it be better if they're using better soil, not spraying it? Well, yeah, you just made the assumption better soil versus not spraying it. It's hard to tell because you don't have the mineral content. Like you go ahead and you buy a you know, a bread or you buy a can of peanut butter. It tells you what's in it. Yeah. We don't have stickers on the vegetables telling us what's in it. Hmm. That would be a nice place to be. So the point is taking supplements is really something we all should be doing. And different supplements, of course, standard is if you can get a liquid, and you have to see what's on the side of it, but if you get a liquid, it's going to be up to three to four times better than taking a capsule, especially as we get older. Once you get to be 50 or you're a smoker or you have digestive issues, you're absorbing very little. Uh, we're absorbing one-fourth of what we did when we were 20. So when you're taking vitamins, you want to use as much as possible or liquids, uh, mouth, and put them in your mouth and rinse them around for 15, 20 seconds. You want to give your mouth a chance to absorb because it's a whole different lymphatic system for absorption than dropping it down into an old stomach. I don't see a lot of liquid vitamins available. Well, there are some, but the, the higher concentration ones in the company we're using actually is an FDA-approved lab, which means they go through the same specifications that a pharmaceutical company would. It's a very large company. It's called The one I like is called Biotics, and I like it because of the standard they maintain. For the price and the quality, they're probably the best overall. Is that on your website? Yeah, we have it right on my website at uh, www.usdoctor.com. Go to products, and in the upper left in left-hand corner, there's a form that says new biotics and you can actually order the vitamin products that I use in my office directly you just have to uh, uh, pick out what you want and I actually sorted things so you have an idea what they all use so number one a general vitamin is always a good place to start but if we go ahead and, and sort of walk our way through like we did in the textbook we can go chapter by chapter in the next 10 minutes and give you an idea of why I use it and why there's a benefit of using vitamins and minerals instead of using prescription medicine. So chapter one in the book, we talked about insomnia, and you've heard us talk before about vitamin D. The product is actually a vitamin D 2,000 I use per drop, and I'm using two to three drops for the average person. Those people with darker skin need more, and because their skin is uh, thicker and harder to get sunlight in, we go five or six drops. Actually, one African-American woman told me 
first time in 20 years she started using vitamin D, her blood pressure dropped 20 points. Cool. Second product we like to use is called GABA. Now, GABA is a hormone that your brain uses to turn off adrenaline. So how many people have gone to bed at night and still counting sheep or all the things they need to do during the day? GABA can help. Standard dose usually is about two or three capsules at bedtime, and it may work very well. Over-the-counter GABA or prescription? This is over-the-counter. Everything that comes through uh, Biotics or Biotron is over-the-counter. Okay. Third product is, I call it the Seinfeld. This is called 5-hydroxytryptophan. There's a Seinfeld episode where he gave this girl, remember the one that gave her wine and turkey and she fell asleep so he could play with the toys? This is toys on the shelf, not the other toys. But the bottom line is uh, this is called 5-HTP and at one time was banned. It's not banned anymore. It's pure. 5-HTP is really nice because it ends up even cutting down on food cravings. And it relaxes you. Once in a while, some people have to be, are sensitive to medications, can't take it. Mm-hmm. But the medication we use within Marplan is rarely used anymore. And okay. the last thing is called magnesium. And some magnesium capsules that helps calm you down before you go to bed. So there's just an example of one group of products that you can try to see if you can sleep better. Good. And we were talking about... Uh, a number of other things. Uh, pick a topic that you want to talk about. Uh, diabetes, uh, favorite topic of mine. We know that all diabetics are low in chromium. And actually, chromium, for some people, works as well as metformin. Taking 40 milligrams of chromium twice a day has been shown to lower the hemoglobin A1C. So here you have an over-the-counter product that may work as well as better than some prescription medication. The other thing is all diabetics are low in B vitamins and low in flaxseed oil and omega-3. So taking more nutrients because diabetes is an inflammatory condition, you want to take in oils, and those products are anti-inflammatory. Flaxseed oil, omega-3 or fish oils, and these omega-3 products are great for reducing inflammation. They fill you up because they're a fat, not a carbohydrate. They keep the blood sugar down. Something simple to treat the disease when it starts. I take a couple of tablespoons of fish oil a day, and what I like about it is you know it's processed, so there's not a lot of that mercury crap in there, and uh, that's a good way to do it. It does not taste that bad. I think the the fish oil uh, that you take by tablespoon, the liquid, is better than the pills. For whatever reason, whenever I've taken fish oil pills, you end up with those fish oil burps. And usually the burp means that it's become rancid. Yeah. So the thing is, since you have to smell that, if the fish oil is bad, you can tell it. And if it's bad in the capsule, you can't. So, yeah, I like the Carlson's fish oil. I think it's really a good, cheap brand and very, very high quality. And if you take can take that down, that's great. You can hide it in your, your protein drink. You know, just a, a sidebar on that. We talked about you don't know what you're getting when you buy vegetables, the content. Nobody publishes that. Uh, you don't know with fish, if you want to eat fish, people think, well, if you don't take the fish oil and you're eating all this fish, it's a good deal. But you don't know what the mercury content is in fish. Don't you think they would be able to publish that? I mean, they could do a, a specimen, a sample on any group of fish that they bring in and figure out what the, the mercury content of the fish was, and it should be on the packages. That'd be nice. You have to understand there's another issue here, too. So, the best fish, really, that uh, the one that I like to have is I have tuna. I have I have salmon. Salmon is good. Salmon is uh, uh, 
is wild salmon, and this is going to have lower levels of mercury than tuna. Tuna tends to accumulate the mercury a little greater. But the other problem we have is these are wild fish. Now, when you get white fish, these are often in uh, farms. And what they feed these fish is actually corn. So instead of having algae, which is what fish live on in the wild, these fish live on corn. And therefore, they don't have the right ratio of three anymore. They're mm. greater omega-6. So when you have white fish, for example, from a farm, you have bypassed all the good omega-3 that you wanted to get in the first place. So right. just having fish doesn't mean you're going to be better off. Oh, what else? So let's talk about digestion then for a quick thing. If we look at um, what foods we're supposed to be eating, we would be eating a lot of vegetables. Now, when you crush the vegetable, uh, and that's what our teeth are for, you end up breaking it up, and the cell walls actually have a number of enzymes, and digestive enzymes is what happens. So when you're eating that salad and you got those vegetables and you biting that tomato, you're releasing different chemicals to help you digest your food. The trouble with getting older, especially and if you're younger and you're a smoker or you're overweight or you have a yeast infection in your gut because you've been eating too much sugar or you just get to be an old person like me, you end up not having the digestive capacity that you had when you're younger. So we can take something simple, some type of digestive enzyme, a couple with meals can help everything work better. The enzymes are activated by a little bit of acid, so maybe a little fruit juice along with the vegetables. Uh, or these tablets will make a big difference. And I use this instead of Prilosec Zantac. So about 60-80% of the patients who come in to me with prescription medicines for GERD, reflux, digestive issues, we treat them just with digestive enzymes and a little bit of either stomach acid called betaine or you know, a little soda pop or even fruit juices. And the other thing that's really, really helpful for digestion is something called bromelain. And here's one product called bromelain with CLA, which is a fish oil. Chlorella actually is chlorophyll. And when you're eating vegetables, you're getting a certain amount of green. Mm -hmm. And the thing about green that's really interesting is that it actually kills yeast. So the detoxification everybody talks about, just pour in the chlorella, pour in the greens. The raw green vegetables keep yeast under control. Will, will that help women, too, from a gynecological point of view? There's some point where they feel that it is systemic, uh -huh. and I'm not arguing. Uh, we have simple ways of treating women for that issue. But, yes, if your immune system's working well, you have less yeast infection. And if you want to have a yeast infection, just go to the mirror and stick your tongue out. If it's got a white coating on it, you got yeast all the way down. It's that simple. That's an old Chinese way of making diagnosis. Really? dates back 3,000 years. Oh, thank you. Great wise one. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, other things we can talk about. We talked about heart before, uh, and one thing that we talked about that uh, Dr. Roberts and I both use is things for cellular energy. And what happens is we get older, we can't make the uh, energy as quickly as we could. One problem with uh, Lipitor drugs is they lower something called coenzyme Q10. You get to be 50 or you're overweight, taking this supplement can make a difference. And if you're really in heart failure, their book will show that taking 300 milligrams of this CoQ10 can actually bring people out of the hospital. D-ribose is a sugar that your cells need for energy, and NAC is an amino acid that Steve gets in his protein drink, and this is really good as a detoxification. So we have simple products you could take every month 
to give your old, tired cells some extra boost. And all of these products are available on Dr. Licken's website. It's not like we're here trying to sell vitamins. He just believes in health. And because uh, his patients need some of these, why not find the best possible brands with guaranteed ingredients? Yeah, because if you go look at the uh, what the FDA does say, is no one has exactly the same amount in every pill. The government allows a 15% variation. So if you had 100 milligrams of something, you could be anywhere from 85 to 115. These vitamin products are very safe, and usually the dosage that they're allowing you or describing on the side of the panel is one-half to one-third of what I use. So it's not just that you're taking the product, but you're taking the right dosage of the product. And the thing about vitamins is that you need them more often. They say once a day. Usually it should be twice and sometimes even three times a day. So the dosages in vitamins, it takes a lot more to get therapeutic effects. So just because you're taking the product doesn't mean you're taking enough to give you the problem the results that you want to. What do you take for yourself? Well, I've got a vitamin pack that I had made up. Uh, Actually, a company approached me, and we have 94 supplements in this one package. And what happens is when I take that a day, and I take it with digestive enzymes, I've got everything covered. I don't like 50 bags and bottles and packages. So I have this one little package. I go ahead and take it out. I take about six pills in the morning and six at noon, one package a day. I'll take some vitamin C powder, which I'll throw into some juice, V8 preferably, although I like orange juice in the morning. And I'll get a couple teaspoons of vitamin C, so it's six or seven grams, 6,000, 7,000 milligrams of vitamin C a day. And then now I take my vitamin D, and I I need a good night's sleep. I'll take my GABA. And um, I haven't quite gotten the point in time where I think the CoQ10 anything more than the 100 milligrams I get in the pills in the morning. So I think I got it pretty well covered, and... uh, um, in the office, I take some DHEA, and I take a little bit of thyroid, and, uh, you know, I keep kicking. Here is what I've been taking. So what I'll start with, I'll do a multivitamin that has minerals, vitamins, and some green food supplements in it, as well as I take something uh, that's called green vibrance, and it's a, uh, a green powder drink. So you're getting all these high concentrations of great stuff. So the multivitamin mineral, the green food supplement, I do the fish oil, two tablespoons per day. I do that for cardiovascular reasons. Vitamin C, about 3,000 milligrams a day, but the 3,000 milligrams is to uh, stop inflammation. Vitamin E, I do 600 milligrams. It's important to do that in a mixed uh, version with a D-gamma, D-alpha, D-beta. Mix them all up. I've heard that's better. Vitamin K, that is for that blood thinning. So someone with atrial fibrillation, that's good and helpful for the heart. Turmeric, curcumin, this is very important for anti-inflammation. I'll do uh, 1,160 milligrams of that. Resveratrol, you're hearing a lot about that in the news. You've heard people talk about wine being great to have a glass of wine a day. The reality is, though, to get the benefits from wine, I've read that you have to have Many. And people go, oh, that's cool. You know, I'll do 12 uh, drinks a day. Oh, two gallons a day? Okay. Right, but that's not going to do it. So you do it in resveratrol. I do 200 milligrams of that. CoQ10, I do 400 milligrams, 200 twice a day. Again, heart energy protective. We talked about in the cardiovascular show that if you're on statins, you 
have to be on CoQ10, and most doctors don't tell you that. Vitamin D, because of Dr. Licton, I now take 4,000 IU a day. I do the DHEA. I'll do L-proline and lysine because of some of the uh, cardiovascular issues. Again, the lysine, proline, and vitamin C uh, are helpful. The D-ribose, lately I've been doing 10 grams a day. Very helpful with that. I'm, I am noticing a difference, and that's my regimen. And uh, so you kind of have to customize these for yourself. But on the other hand, if you're taking that one that you offer, I think it's got everyone covered. I like to keep it simple. I mean, the last thing I want to do is put 20 containers out there and spend 20 or 30 minutes a day counting out pills. So the food and the supplements are all important, but you got to work out. You got to you got to get strong, whether it be on a treadmill or lifting weights. I happen to think that weight-bearing exercise is important for anyone at any age. I agree. And the way, you know, when I've had trainers in the past and what I do now is I'm and work up to 15, 20 minutes. If you can do 30 minutes of cardio, just work up a nice little sweat and then go spend another 20 minutes to 30 minutes doing some weights. And the point is you need them both. And without the endurance, you really can't push as much weight. And without the weights, you can't have the endurance. So the two work together. And you don't have to press 300 pounds. You just have to find some level where you tire out doing a third set. Although you find yourself starting to push more, the more you work out, the stronger you get. All of a sudden, you're going up a notch, another plate. And I've noticed that there are a lot of gentlemen who are on hormone replacement therapy or taking testosterone, and they don't work out. Wow. If you include the weight-bearing exercise guys and you're doing this testosterone, you turn into Superman. I mean, I gained almost... 30 pounds of muscle because I was working my butt off in the gym and I was doing the same thing that guys were taking testosterone and not gaining anything. So why not, you know, get the bang for your buck, right? We, we don't argue. I mean, I told you a story with Max and Max, your son. Yeah. My Max, my 20 year old. So he started working out hard trying to beat dad and uh, he got from 125 to 175 on his bench. And I, don't work out like I should, but I have now been told it's time to practice what I preach. And so who told you that? We're not talking about that, but the bottom line is, <laughs> so, you know, I'm at the gym three times a week, but the bottom line is, so uh, Max takes me to the gym, and I mm -hmm. make sure I get my shot the day before, and we go to the gym, and I set the weight at 185, because I know he could do 175, so I popped three 185s, and then I said, let's see what we got left. And the most I ever did when I was 50 was 215, and I put this weight at 205, haven't done a heavy weight in more than 10 years, and I popped the 205. Wow. So the bottom line is I've been able to hold the muscle mass, and not with doing exercise, but the hormones make a difference. And now, you know, building things back, you know, I'm getting, trying to work the cardio back, because I see what you lose. You really lose the endurance. Mm. And so now we're back, and, you know, within one week, we go from four Mets to seven Mets, and, you know, 10 minutes to 30 minutes. So the bottom line is, yeah, it comes back pretty quickly. And, you know, thank goodness for a little natural hormone replacement. Hey, I saw you a couple of weeks ago in the office. Uh, you were changing uh, out of your scrub shirt or whatever that was. And you were looking pretty darn good. Uh, yeah, I mean, you've got definition in your shoulders. You look good. A little more is not going to hurt. What I noticed, though, was being the uh, scientist uh, myself, I went on this hormone replacement therapy for the first time a year ago. 
I was on it for six months. I gained almost 30 pounds of muscle, and then I went off it and uh, just wanted to see what would happen. Wow. I feel like warmed over dog poo, right? (laughs) To put it nicely, lost the muscle, lost the weight, just didn't feel well at all. And uh, mental, now, mental focus was gone, and attitude was sucky. And uh, you know, you said to you, you felt like an old fart. I was, I was depressed. I mean, everything kicked back to what it was before. And uh, so I just started again a year later. And uh, like you said, back in the gym, two weeks after therapy's begun, and it's coming back. And it's coming back quickly. But, oh, I was so amazed by how much I'd lost because I didn't lift a weight. I, I had some injury that kept me out of the gym as well as stopping therapy. So I hadn't lifted a weight for uh, almost six months. Oh, my God. I couldn't. The things, you remember I told you I used to do dips with 50-pound weights uh, wrapped around my waist. This is when I was doing therapy. I couldn't crank one when I went back without the weight. Right. Right. And the whole point I'm making is that if you're on adequate levels of testosterone, you can hold it. I mean, I haven't lost. I, I'm not to the point where I can do 17 pull-ups, but the bottom line is I, you don't lose the overall muscle strength and uh, appearance. But if you stop the drugs and stop the exercise, you go back to being coming a girly man. Girly man. <laughs> and they always talk, too, about muscle memory. And this is true. And this is a good news story for guys that have lifted weights in the past. If at all in the past you had built up some muscle mass, your muscle seems to have a memory. And so when you go back to it, even years later, you'll have more muscle than if you had never built it at one point in your life. That's right. If if any point in your life you've built yourself into shape, you can get yourself back in shape relatively quickly. And that's why even though I never worked out heavier, I actually lifted weights until my late 40s, you know, now in, in my 60s, I still maintain a reasonable amount of muscle mass, and it remembers, and it pops back. And when I work out, it's just like the arms just get huge, and, you know, Max sits there and says, how do you do that? I say, I cheat. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? That's how our kids look at it, too. That's what I, he didn't, my son didn't ask me that. He just said, you cheat. And I say, we're spotting you 40 years Tough luck, buddy. See, they don't they don't think about that, do no, they? No, they don't think that we've had all this time right. to wear down. So they don't get it. Yeah, well, we've learned. But uh, it is interesting, and you can get back in shape. And as for my friend that I spoke to that's eating cheeseburgers after a double bypass, shame on you. And what the hell is wrong with you guys? I mean, people, you got to get this together, man. You can't go out there and eat like you did, especially if you've had this before. Uh, Having heart surgery is not fun. It's preventable. And I've learned from Dr. Licton and Dr. Roberts that any of us should not have a heart attack as a surprise. There's no reason to be surprised about this. There are the tests, the, the CT scores, all that you can do. Right. I really believe that we can pick up 95% 95% of all people are going to have a heart attack before. Uh, I believe that we have the technology here to not only to diagnose it, but to also prevent it. But even if you don't do anything, the number one thing you can do is get your blood tests, maintain your hormone levels, take your vitamin D, take your DHEA. 
you need to take your thyroid, it's not that difficult. It's not like you're taking 57 things. So you got three or four products that you take. They're vitamins and hormones. One package of vitamins, maybe a teaspoon of vitamin C or protein drink, and you know what? You should live long and prosper. People also ask me a lot, how much of that protein do you take? And they're always shocked when I tell them I take one gram per pound of body weight. So I, when I was in my peak shape, I was 180 pounds. I took 180 grams. And that's kind of bodybuilding numbers. Pro bodybuilders, that's what they say. Others say you don't need so much. Well, the bottom line is it's probably food. So where I don't work out, so I do probably half that. But, you know, I make sure that I'm eating protein, you know, three meals a day. You know, if I get four ounces of protein three times a day, I'm getting a good number right there. So I don't do the protein drinks, but, you know, Max is doing them. And Max is stronger than me now, so he's happy. But he's been doing the protein drinks. He's probably about 6 or 7% body fat and just works out at the gym, breathes them out, and, you know, pretty good for a 20-year-old kid. Here's one thing I want to caution you about. If you want to take a protein supplement and you are working out, you want to build muscle mass, and if you have any issues with coronary artery disease or you have high cholesterol, it was a mistake I made, one that I can save you from. Look at the label on the the whey protein. Whey is known to be the best type of protein, pre-digested protein to take when you're trying to build muscle mass. But there's a lot of cholesterol in most of this. It's a dairy product. There are only like two brands I found without. So guys, if you're going to take 160 or 180 uh, grams of protein and you have cholesterol issues or heart issues, find the brand with zero fat and zero cholesterol. Now, as we run out of time here, I've got five minutes left and I've been uh, using a Kleenex that I ran over and snuck. Talk to me just for a second what we can do about allergies. Allergy season is upon us. For some, it's all year long. But right now, springtime, summertime, all kinds of stuff is happening. Natural supplements like C can help, uh, but what else? I mean, the, the medications are pretty good for for allergies, are they not? I mean, those are good to take. No question. The thing I do in the office, and you're welcome to come by tomorrow, I'll hook up an IV and pump in five 10, 15 grams of vitamin C. And what happens is the vitamin C actually blocks leukotrienes, which is the allergic reaction for the cells, the mast cells that actually release all this histamine, all this funny stuff that gives us a runny nose. So vitamin C is good. If you have a true cold, some of this stuff over the counter, um, I can't think of the name of it. Uh, Talking about Zycam? Yeah. No, that's great. If you're starting a cold, definitely hit Zycam as quickly as possible. Zycam vitamin C. Turmeric, you mentioned before, yeah. um, the one C U C U M I N. Actually, some of these herbs uh, are really very potent antiviral products. If you really have a true science infection, what I do in the office, the data shows this is an overgrowth of yeast in the sciences. So actually, we use something called prescription diflucan to cut the yeast down. There are some products out there, heavy duty greens. One I used before called Paraway very high potent green products and by clearing your gut you actually decrease your viral and uh, yeast uh, uh, level in your system so there's things you can do naturally but eating right keeping your hormones up DHA is great for women for their immune systems we can show scientifically data that this does make a difference so uh, yeah I mean my thing is if I get a cold I hook up an IV but 
as far as allergies, you saw what I take. I take all that stuff right now. So a lot of people take it too, and they still have allergies this time of year. So looking at into Allegra or Claritin, those work. And they're over the counter, and they work really well. The other thing that really makes difference for the patients who are truly asthmatic is magnesium. Higher levels of magnesium keep the lungs open. So allergies are more leukotriene. Vitamin C can make a difference. Vitamin E can make a difference. And some of these spices make a difference. And the bottom line is, you know, try whatever you can over the counter. If it works, then it's saved yourself a trip to the doctor. You have actually had positive results with people with asthma with magnesium? Yeah. When a woman comes in or a man comes in with an asthma attack, we can usually break it just by pumping in an IV with magnesium and vitamin C. And it's on the website under asthma. Uh, Kara went ahead and had a patient in the hospital that was almost... I uh, was already hospitalized. I was thinking about they're forcing a patient into the ICU to be intubated. Mm-hmm. And uh, she hooked up the protocol off the website, and the patient went home three hours later. So the IV magnesium, the IV vitamin C, in some cases, is just life-saving. And once again, Dr. Licken, I definitely have to thank you for doing this. You and I talked about this. I was originally his patient, still am. But for a gentleman with his knowledge and his expertise to sit down and take all this time to write uh, the the information that you've written in books and now to speak about it on the radio, to give your information away to help other people is truly admirable. So uh, I'm grateful that you've done it for me, and I know our listeners are grateful that you do it every single week for them. So uh, thank you very much for that. That's my privilege. And so if you want to talk to Dr. Lichten, he's actually a doctor that you can get a hold of. How about that? Even though he's got an extremely busy practice and sees patients from all over the world, you can still contact him. You can even talk to him on the phone. His number is 248-593-9999 or check his website out, usdoctor.com. You can see a list of the supplements we spoke of earlier. But definitely, definitely get the right information Make the right choices. Be the best you can be. And just have a great week. We'll be back next week on iTunes. Every Monday we've got a new show for you. With more interesting subjects, we need to get this grassroots marketing going. So tell your friends. Send them a link on Facebook. Let them know we're here. We've got subjects for men, for women. It's all about anti-aging and wellness. Everything directed at helping you live longer and stay healthier. So thanks again. It was great to be with you today, Dr. Lippin. My pleasure. Any week, Steve. I'm Steve Peck. I'll talk to you next week.